The gospel lesson for the fourth Sunday in Lent comes from the gospel according to John, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. You can find it on page 752 of the Pew Bible. In this gospel lesson, Jesus compares himself to something strange and ugly, and the whole thing is beautiful. Please stand as you are able for the gospel from John 3, beginning at verse 14, we read in Jesus' name. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Father, these are your words. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about a snake. Now, maybe you don't want to think about a snake. I don't. I certainly don't want to think about snakes any more than I absolutely have to. Snakes are creepy. In fact, snakes are so creepy that they actually creep along the ground. They are the definition of creepy. They just slither along through the grass until they're, you know, right at your feet, surprise, and you jump in the air and you say all the words that your parents taught you not to say. And in addition to being just creepy in every sense of the word, some snakes are also deadly. I, for one, am very glad we don't have very many snakes in this part of the country. When it's the middle of winter and it's 20 below outside and the snow is blowing everywhere and my car is sliding all over the road, I ask myself, why do I live here? And I remember, oh yeah, snakes. (laughs) We don't have many. And the snakes we do have are just those harmless little gardener snakes, which aren't poisonous and they don't attack people, but they still really creep me out. My brain brain knows that they're not dangerous, but I just can't get over it. Suppose there are uh, other animals that might terrify me more, like a crocodile or a grizzly bear, uh, but nothing creeps me out quite like a snake. There's even something biblical to this whole snakes being creepy thing. And this goes back to the Garden of Eden and the fall into sin. The devil came to Adam and Eve in the form of a serpent. And serpent, just another word for snake. And this serpent or snake tempted Adam and Eve to disobey God. This is how the curse of sin and death came into the world. And how we uh, really, in biblical terms, became children of the devil. We uh, read about this in the epistle lesson from Ephesians that we were following the course of the prince of the power of the air, a term for the devil, and that we were, by nature, children of wrath. And this is what the serpent on our picture reminds us of, this fall into sin and how 
we became children of the devil in that. Uh, And so there was a specific curse that God placed on the serpent, that is the devil. God said to him, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So every time we see a snake slithering along the ground, we should be reminded of the curse God pronounced upon the devil. Namely, that God would send an offspring of the woman to crush the devil's head. It's not like snakes are really a a literal incarnation of the devil, but they are a reminder to us of him. And apparently his trickery of Adam and Eve is, is why they slither along the ground. It kind of sounds like perhaps they were able to stand up before the fall into sin. But now they slither on the ground, and man, I think we seem to have this instinct uh, to try to crush their heads. And I don't know if you've experienced this feeling or not, but I remember once when I was a kid, there was a gardener snake, and I think it got into our garage or maybe even our basement, and my dad wasn't home, and my mom was really creeped out, so she told me to get rid of it. I was really creeped out too, so I don't even know how I caught it, because I'm quite sure I wouldn't have touched it. Uh, I could never bring myself to actually touch a snake. But I didn't want to just set it free in the backyard. I mean, I couldn't play baseball in the backyard if I knew there was a snake on the loose. Uh, So I decided to kill the snake. And I'm not proud of this. The right thing to do, I think, would have been to carry it a long, long ways away from our house and set it free. So I'm going to chalk this up to the sins of my youth. Um, But I decided to kill the snake. And I won't be too graphic about it all, but I crushed his head. And that was... I don't know, the instinct I had for it, I guess. And I think this is the human instinct regarding snakes. Whenever uh, we get that fight or flight response to a snake, the fight side of it says, crush his head. So grab whatever's nearby or you stomp on it. And I really think this has something to do with the curse in the garden. This is our instinct with snakes. And I think these little battles that we have with snakes are a picture of the greater battle that our Savior has with the ancient serpent, the devil. God promised that our Savior would crush the head of the serpent. So I guess the moral of my story is that snakes are the worst. They're downright creepy, and the Bible even calls them cursed. So it's a strange thing then, and I mean a really strange thing, that in both the Old Testament lesson and the Gospel lesson, snakes are the image of salvation. In both lessons, the image of salvation is a snake on a pole. And it just seems like the most backward thing for God to do. The image of salvation is identical to the image of the curse, And there's a a very good reason for why God works this way. First, the Old Testament lesson in that bronze serpent on a pole. The year was around 1407 B.C., so it was getting close to the end of Israel's 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They were getting fairly close to entering the Promised Land, but they had some hiking, I guess, to do. 
uh, and their token sin just kept coming up. They grumble against God and against Moses. The text, this is Numbers 21, says they became impatient, kind of like kids on a vacation. Are we there yet? They didn't like all the traveling in the desert. Their actual complaint was more along the lines of, I'm hungry and I'm thirsty. So Moses said, hi, hungry, hi, thirsty, I'm Moses. And this is how dad jokes were invented. (laughs) Not really. More literally, what they said, uh, they complained about having no food and no water. And they accused Moses of bringing them out of Egypt into this wilderness to just die in the wilderness. Now, time and time again, you read through Exodus and Numbers, time and time again, God had miraculously provided food and water. For this whole time in the wilderness, there was bread just sitting on the ground every morning when they came out of their tents. And whenever there was no water, God would turn rocks into water fountains. It's kind of incredible. So they should know by now that God is providing for all their needs. And when we read their actual complaint, we learn that the lack of food and water wasn't even true. Listen carefully to what they actually said and see if you can pick this up. They said, for there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Now, how can you loathe this worthless food when you don't have any? They did have food. It was the manna that appeared on the ground every morning. So it kind of sounds like, I don't know, it kind of sounds like whiny kids saying, you won't give me anything to eat, and I don't want this hamburger. It's really kind of funny when you think about it, but God's not laughing at it. Their complaint amounts to unbelief and ingratitude for his gifts, and miraculous gifts at that. So God punished them. He sent venomous serpents, or he sent fiery serpents, is how uh, some translations put it. And we don't know exactly what it meant that they were fiery. Perhaps they were fiery in appearance, but most likely uh, people felt like they were burning when they got bit. And the result, really, was that many of the people of Israel died from the snake bites. So then they realized they had sinned against God. I guess a, a snake bite can help you appreciate your boring bread a little more. So they repented, and they asked Moses to intercede for them, and he did. But God didn't take the snakes away. You notice that? Uh, If you remember the plagues, the ten plagues when they were in Egypt, whenever Pharaoh asked Moses to take the plagues away, Moses would do whatever and the, the frogs would disappear or something like that. But here, when it's God's own people, he doesn't take the snakes away. Instead, he gives them uh, a really weird remedy. He said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. God's remedy for snake bite was a graven image of a snake on a pole. Now, this is just weird for a variety of reasons. First, this isn't the typical way to heal snake bite. If a doctor ever prescribes something like this to you, seek a second opinion, and probably quickly, too. Second, Remember, the serpent is the image of the devil. It reminds us of the curse and the fall into sin and how that's become our own nature. Now, that doesn't sound right. Third, these people have just been bitten by snakes. Now God wants them to look at a snake in order to be healed. The remedy is the image 
of the curse or the plague. And fourth, this actually sounds a little bit like a violation of the first commandment, part of which was, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. But God commands Moses to make an image of a snake on a pole. And the people are supposed to look to it for their salvation. And I want us all to recognize how weird this is because the strangeness of this image is really the point. You've probably seen this image before. We have pictures of it all over the place. Your health insurance company might have it as their logo, or you might see it on ambulances or hospitals. This picture of one snake wrapped around a pole. Sometimes you might see a picture of two snakes with wings at the top. That's a different image. But oftentimes this, oftentimes this image of one snake wrapped around a pole uh, is used as a symbol of healing. And it's so weird. But here's the thing. The graven image of a snake on a pole is really a picture of Jesus Christ. When God commanded Moses to make this graven image of a snake, it wasn't an image of a false god. It was an image of the one true god. And by looking at it, the people were saved. Now, that might not make it sound any less weird. If anything, it might sound even weirder. That Jesus, as we read in the Gospel lesson, he ascribes this image of a snake on a pole to himself. But this is what we read about in the Gospel lesson. It's Jesus' famous conversation with Nicodemus, the one where he talks about being born again, which, by the way, is a reference to baptism. And it's the same conversation in which Jesus speaks what I guess has probably become the most well-known verse in all of the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But what isn't always recognized is that John 3.16 is about a snake on a pole. Right before this most famous verse, Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Then he goes on to say, For God so loved the world. The snake on a pole is a prophetic picture of Jesus. And this is the manner in which God loved the world. So you might be confused by now. I wouldn't blame you. How is the snake on a pole a picture of Jesus? Obviously, uh, you have the, the... pole as the cross. So the snake on a pole, it's a picture of the cross and the the pole, like the wooden cross, this wooden thing standing up high up from the earth for everyone to see, just like that pole in Numbers 21. And then you have the curse of all humanity hanging on this pole. And I'm talking about Jesus. And I'm serious This might sound impious, but this is what Jesus would have us learn from his words, that he truly becomes the curse of all humanity. He became 
the snake, the image of all evil. He even becomes the scorn of God's wrath. Jesus became everything that God hates. That probably sounds a little bit weird and and maybe even a little bit bad. So let me prove it to you from Scripture. First, we have in this text Jesus comparing himself to the snake. We also have 2 Corinthians 5.21, which says, For our sake, God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God actually made Jesus to be sin. And we have the language of the curse in Galatians 3.13, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The scripture clearly teaches that Jesus became a curse. And then in Isaiah 53, the prophet says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And he did. Jesus became sin. He became the curse And he was strung up on a cross like a snake who deserved to die. And in that moment, God the Father desired to crush him. And he did. This is the event Jesus was talking about when he said, For God so loved the world. This hideous sight of a snake of a man on a pole is the manifestation of God's love for the world. For those who were there to witness the crucifixion, it must have been an awful and shameful sight. It was the sort of thing that men hide their faces from. But in the eyes of God the Father, the sight was even more disgusting because he saw what was really there behind all the blood and the shame. He saw more. He saw the sin of the world. He saw everything that had gone wrong with his beautiful creation, and he poured out his wrath upon it. And in this way, Jesus Christ, the Son of God in human flesh, drank the cup of God's wrath down to the very last drop. And he did this so that everyone who looks in faith to this cursed sight will not perish, but have eternal life. When you see that odd image of a snake wrapped around a pole, or even when you see a creepy gardener snake slithering through the grass, think of Jesus Christ. In that moment, a snake of a man nailed to a cross. And think of John 3.16, because this is for your everlasting salvation. And whenever you hear that most famous verse, For God so loved the world, think of Jesus, and think of your snake on a pole. For this snake on a pole is given for your salvation, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.